Good morning. Great to see all of you this morning. Uh, hope you've had a good time of worship and prayer. And now we're going to get into God's Word. Um, we're taking a little bit of a uh, left turn this morning. Uh, for those of you that are new, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. And we're just at the last section of chapter 11, God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame. But I'm going to change it up today for one week. Uh, I've been thinking about this for the last couple weeks because of world events and what's been happening in our world today. But um, I want to go a little bit different direction for myself and for you. I hope God ministers to us in a unique way. Um, I've heard it said that when pastors uh, preach the same sermon a second time at a later date to their congregation, that they're guilty of something. Uh, one pastor said they're guilty of going to the barrel. They go back to, into their files and pull out something and, uh, and preach it again. The, and they call us going to the barrel. I've heard another pastor describe it as serving your church warmed over biscuits. And uh, I, I think that could be true, but um, I think that I, I agree with the guy that said this, the pastor he says, if it was true and helpful, then it's going to be true and helpful again. And uh, that's the way I want to go with this because I didn't go to the, to the barrel or I'm not going to serve you warmed over biscuits because I didn't have uh, time to do a message in Hebrews because uh, I rarely, rarely repeat a sermon. But with all the events that are happening in our world today, I just felt led to do this. I've been feel, feeling this for the last two weeks and I almost did it last Sunday, but I think this Sunday is almost even better. Um, I can't exactly tell you when I preached this sermon the first time. I was thinking, uh, I, my memory just failed me, but I, I wondered, did I preach this when Y2K happened? Anybody remember, anybody remember Y2K? And everybody went into this panic, you know, about uh, uh, what was going to happen, all the clocks were going to go crazy and all this, that, and the other thing. It might have been during a tense presidential race. We've had some real barn burners over the last 20 years, and I wonder if I preached it then, or some kind of national crisis, whether it was economic or financial, or maybe, maybe there was a, because of the moral freefall that we're in, I, I preached something, this passage. I don't, I don't even know uh, when it was, but as I recall, I preached it because um, uh, something was affecting our country, and Christians included. And, uh, and maybe I preached it when COVID started. I don't even, if you know, tell me so I can know when I preached it. But uh, um, I preached it when something was happening to us, not only individually, but nationally. Okay, and there was a lot of fear and anxiety and worry and nervousness and even panic among, among uh, people, and, and I, as I mentioned, including Christians. And whatever event it was, and I'm bringing this up to today, it caused us to ask some questions in our hearts. Like, what's going to happen with this situation? Um, where will all of this end up? Um, how will this all play out? Where's God in all of this? Um, what's God trying to accomplish in the big picture in the world? And all I know is that whatever occasion I preached this, it was causing nervousness to fill our minds with fear and uh, worry and and we became susceptible to a lie if we weren't careful and that is uh, that God was not in control of everything 
Do you agree that God's in control of everything? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I think at, at this moment in time, it may, some, one, one of the reasons why we might be a little bit on edge is because of what's happening over in uh, Ukraine. And I don't think there's one of us here today that doesn't know the events of Russia invading Ukraine. What's going to happen there and on the world stage? We don't know. And there's some people that are kind of uh, unpredictable. And so it causes us to be a little bit susceptible to anxiety and worry. But again, the key question here, is God really in ultimate control of what's happening? And is he working it together according to his plan and purpose for our world? And of course, the answer is yes, but we need to hear that. I was thinking about, as we were singing, I was thinking about when my office was over at the other building and in my middle drawer, I think I've shared this before, I had a little slip of paper, it was only about that big, but when things started to get a little bit crazy, uh, I would open my middle drawer and that little thing said, if God is in control, I can handle anything. If I know God's in control, I can handle just about everything. And that's the direction that we're going to go today. And is God in ultimate control of what's happening in our world today? And is he working according to his plan and his purpose to weave it together for something that he wants to do. And now let's say this before we get into the text today, that if anybody should, be, should have a sense of security and certainty about world events, and I'm talking even what's going on over in Europe and so on and so forth, shouldn't it be the Christian? That was a weak answer. Woo! <laughs> shouldn't it be the Christian? Because we know God, and God knows us, and we know he's in control. But we can forget it just as easily as a non-Christian if we're not careful. We can watch too much news or, or, or whatever and begin to bite our knuck, uh, fingernails up to our knuckles because we're nervous and we can forget that God is in complete control. And this, this is just a preamble to, to the message. But like I said, if anybody should have a sense of certainty or security that God is in charge of all nations, governments, economies, leaders, events, and even in the events of our own personal lives, and that he's working them together for an appointed end, it is the Christian. We should exude certainty and security. And what an opportunity to show the non-Christian that we've got something that they don't and that they might want is that certainty that God's in control. And so today we're going to answer that question with an affirmative yes, but the question is, is God in charge? Is he in control? And we're going to look at four things today under uh, that uh, title, and most, most of it's in the book of Daniel, so if you've got a Bible, or, uh, go to Daniel chapter 4, we'll be in chapters 4 and 5, you can look up on the screen for the verses, I believe we have those this morning, um, but we're going we're gonna to go there and answer that question, is God still in charge? Is he, is he in charge of what's going on right now in Ukraine and in all parts of the world, China, Russia, the United States, North Korea? the Middle East, your life and mine. That's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, we're going to, in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. Uh, God is in control over all nations and all rulers. Certain rulers might think that they're doing what they want to do, but God is in control of all rulers. Now here in Daniel chapter 4, especially in verses 1 through 23, 
The great prophet Daniel is asked to interpret a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And Daniel warns the king as he's interpreting this dream that the dream is about King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And Daniel tells the king that because of his pride, take note here, (laughs) because of his pride over being the ruler of the great nation city of Babylon, and because he gave God no credit for that, he says, I I did this. This This is what I did. I built this great city. Because pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Just remember that. But anyway, he didn't give God credit, and the king would be humbled by being reduced to a condition, an actual condition called zoanthropy. Okay, zoanthropy, which is an actual condition where people think that they are animals and they start to live and act like animals. You say, I know a guy like, no, I'm not, that's not it. They, they start to live and act like animals, and for seven years, the king, the, Daniel says, the king will remain under this condition until he's sufficiently humbled and repents and gives the Lord the glory that is due him. And as he describes what will happen to the king, Daniel strongly makes the point that God, not man, is in charge of all nations. Verse 25 of Daniel 4 You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven seven times or years uh, um, will pass for you until you acknowledge, and here it is right here, until you acknowledge that, that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. I'm going to repeat that. This is for us today. Now, it's couched in in the events of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and that. But notice what he says, that you acknowledge that the Most High, that's God, is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. He's sovereign. That means he's in control, okay? And that whole prediction is, is fulfilled one year later, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's thinking he's, you know, he's got his hands on the hips like the Queen of May. I'm, I'm, I'm the great builder of Babylon. And all of a sudden, his sanity is taken away. And then seven years later, he comes to his senses and his sanity is restored Now note what God wanted King Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge as a result of his discipline. Verse 34, Daniel chapter 4. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Because he had been out in the field like a, like a, like a, a cattle eating grass. His hair grew long, his fingernails grew, it was that kind of thing. And he says, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorify him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time my sanity was restored, uh, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able 
to humble. That's what God wanted him to acknowledge, okay? That he uh, was in charge and in control of all nations and all authorities, and Nebuchadnezzar was not. You guys have seen, heard that thing, uh, um, um, you are God and I'm not, or something like that. That's what God was trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar. I'm God, you're not. Okay, and, and Nebuchadnezzar got it. Okay, and that's what we need to focus on in this crazy world today, that God is in charge. All nations, all authorities, all rulers, all powers, all events, God is in charge. God is sovereign. God is in control. God has a plan. God has a purpose, and he's moving the pieces together in charge of history, which is his story, uh, for a reason, and he's going to reveal that to us. Now, scriptures are full of these, these uh, truths, uh, about the sovereignty of God, and I've only got a few here because of time constraints, but Acts 17, 24 through 26, this is a really good one. In New Testament, it says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, here it is. Get this. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Okay. Now, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 say the same thing. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He, God, changes times. And seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings. He raises others up. He's in charge of world, the world and world events. Daniel 4.17, the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people, anyone he wishes. God is in control. Okay, Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. One more. Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no... Is that up on the screen? Let's read it together. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Are you sensing a theme here? God's in control in general over all nations and leaders and economies and events, and he directs them as he sees fit for his purpose. God is a majestic God, amen? He's a sovereign God. And don't ask me to explain that totally, because I can't, but he is, and the word says he is. And he's worthy of worship. Isn't it great to have a great worship service like we had this morning? Just to be able to worship that God? That was a great worship service, or part of the service. Let's get more specific, because there's four things here. First, as a general statement, God is in control over all things. Second, nations, including governments, economies, and leaders, rise according to God's will. 
They rise according to God's will. Erwin Lutzer, uh, who, I don't know if he still is, but he was the uh, chaplain of Moody Bible Church, or uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, his great writer and Christian man, he said, no empire can arise, no king can come to power, no president can be installed apart from God allowing it, standing back of it, and God ultimately ruling in the affairs of men. At the end of the day, it's God who rules and God who allows nations to rise. No nation can arise without God's help without God's aid and providence. No nation can arise apart from God's will. Example, the nation that we're living in right now. There's no way that we would have risen without the, the sovereignty of God, as, as I've read the history of America. Benjamin Franklin said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is not probable that an empire cannot arise without his aid. The, that's a question. Is it not probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid? The answer is obviously it cannot. Job. When's the last time you heard a quote from Job, right? Job 12, 23, and 24. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations, and he disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth in their reason. He makes these leaders of the earth wander in a trackless waste. Romans 9, 17, for scripture says to Pharaoh, God says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. The great ruler Pharaoh was risen by God, not because of Pharaoh's intellect or leadership ability. It's important to know this when we see what's going on in our world today with nations rising and falling uh, and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and other nations around the world, the conflicts. It's important to know that God... uh, rises nations in his time. But it's also important to know, number three, that all nations, including leaders, economies, and level of power and influence, decline or fall according to God's will and timing. It's not just that God's in total control, that's general, getting more specific, he's in control of all nations that rise, but he's also totally in control of all nations in their decline. I don't know who said this, but I, I heard it or read it this week, and I, wrote, I just mentally, I, I put it up there and held it there, and then I wrote it down in my, my sermon, uh, maybe yesterday, I can't remember, and, it's, and somebody said, no democracy or dictatorship will last forever. No democracy or dictatorship will last forever because God will cause a decline, unfortunately. And we don't know when, but, but God's in charge of the, the fall, of the fall. Now let's go to Daniel chapter 5, okay? Daniel chapter 5 illustrates the fact that God controls the timing of the decline and fall of all nations, rulers, economies, and powers. In the first 30 verses, we see that under the rule of Belshazzar, who is the son and the successor of King Nebuchadnezzar, 
who turned to God, but Belshazzar is kind of a, he's a bad guy, and um, he decides in a, in a, to, to desecrate the vessels of the holy temple of God, okay? And, he, he, and it's during this wild, drunken party. Everybody's just completely drunk and crazy and wild and bad things are happening. And they're giving praise to false gods during this, uh, this drunken party. And they have the bright idea of going and getting all the vessels that were packed away when Babylon uh, took the temple vessels and use them in a drunken party. Isn't that a great idea? You're going to use the vessels God picked for the holy temple to have a drunken party. What could happen, right? Anyway, so they get these vessels, and then you see the famous handwriting on the wall. It's just so famous, it's become a common idiom for the last several thousand years. Oh, did you see I can see the handwriting on the wall. A lot of people say that, and they don't know it comes right from this event here. Anyway, um, Dan, the king's, uh, they, he, the hand appears on the wall, and I'm going to read it in verses 5 and 6 in chapter 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. In other words, he was scared, okay? And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what that exactly means. And so he calls on his enchanters and diviners and astrologers. They can't uh, explain what this hand is written on the wall. Daniel is called upon to interpret the writing on the wall. And in verses 17 through 23, Daniel, re- first of all, he rebukes Belshazzar for being so unlike his father Nebuchadnezzar, who had uh, humbled himself before God. And then he refuses any payment for interpreting the handwriting on the wall. And then in verses 24 through 31 of chapter 5, Daniel interprets the handwriting on the wall and, uh, and proclaims, God's absolute control over the fall and the collapse of the mighty nation of Babylon, which happens that very night. Let's look at these verses, verse 24 through 31 of chapter 5. Then he sent the hand that wrote the ins- therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription which was written. So just, just imagine, uh, do you ever watch uh, The Adams Family? Okay. I noticed they have the reruns of that on TV now. And uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Anybody ever watched the Adam's Family? And do you remember Thang? Thang was that hand that came out, you know? That really, and all it was was a hand. And Thang would write, well, he wouldn't write, but he'd just, he'd grab stuff, he'd do weird things. Think of that. The hand comes out and writes this on the wall, Okay. And this is what it said, the hand wrote. Mini, mini, tekel, parson. This is what these words mean. Daniel's interpreting these words. Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, because he knew what Daniel interpreted was true, 
He says, At his command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And these are the three words I want you to really zero in on. That very, what? Night. Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and I never figured out this is Darius or Darius. I always call him Darius. The Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. That very night, when God says a nation is going to decline, it's going to decline. Whether it's one night or 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. But when God says it, it's time for a nation to fall, and it will fall. Job 12, 24, I read it. God makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of their reason and makes them wander in trackless ways. Now, the reason I'm preaching this today is because <clears throat> I want you to know, and I'll, I'll try to answer some of the questions that come up when this kind of stuff comes up. God is in control, ultimately, of what's happening in our world today. Silence. God is in control of the events of our will today, world today, and he has a purpose and plan for all of it. Yeah? And so hold on to that when you watch the news today or tomorrow or whatever happens. God is in control. Okay? This is not random chaos. This is not God taking a vacation and then watching from a distance and letting things just happen. God is superintending over history. He has a plan for this. He's behind it all. Okay. Job 12, 24. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He's in control of all economies. Did you know that? We ought to tell Wall Street that, don't you think? I mean, people, you ever notice how people just freak when the stock market goes up and down? It's just a freakazoid zone, you know? Every day, you know? I don't even understand Wall I don't understand all that stuff that they say, but I understand enough to know when it goes down, they freak, and when they go, it goes up, they party, you know? Don't, we don't have to do that. God's in charge of all economies. I'm not going to go there and read it because it takes too much time, but when Joseph had this dream about the, the seven uh, uh, skinny ears of corn eating the big ears of corn, and then the seven skinny cattle eating the big fat cattle, he was telling Pharaoh, God's in charge of your economy. That's in Genesis 41. I, I wish I had time to go to that, but, but he's in charge. Let's go to the fourth point. God's in charge in general of all events. He's in charge of their rise. He's in charge timing of their rise and how much prosperity there is. He's in charge of their fall and how whatever their economy is. And then last of all, today, God's in charge of all the decisions of all rulers under... Uh, all, God is in control of all the decisions of all rulers in the world. You know, Putin may think, I'm, I'm uh, the best thing since sliced bread, and I, I'm doing this, and God's in the background is knitting together his, his story for the world. God is in control 
of the decisions of all rulers. Proverbs 21, 1 is probably the most, the signature verse of this. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of who? The Lord's. Is that different than what I just read? Okay, I'll read it from there. In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water. What he channels, boy, I can hardly read that. Read it for me, will you? What he Okay, I don't like that version. Let's do this one here. <laughs> this one's the New King James. New King James. Sorry, I, gave you, I didn't tell you I was using a different version. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You say, well, Mitch, why do you use so much scripture when you preach? Because I want you to know, if you don't like it, just go argue with God. You know? That's why I preach from the Bible. You know, but anyway, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Daniel 4.32, going back to Daniel chapter 4. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Okay? Now, let's deal with some key questions here before we conclude. What a, and I don't, I don't know if I'm reading your mind, but I think this is a legitimate question because it, it no doubt can come up. What about all the evil rulers and nations that have been around through history, and today too? I don't think any one of us can look at a picture on our phones or uh, the internet or on TV of people being needlessly and unnecessarily uh, killed or maimed. We, it's hard. Hard. What about all the evil rulers and nations that have been around throughout history? I mean, if God is con in control of all events, as we've seen, and he puts in and removes all leaders and controls their decisions, causes nations to rise and fall at his will, and what about the evil rulers and nations that have wreaked so much pain and death and destruction? What about the Idi Amin's and the Paul Potts and the Mao's and the Hitler's? What about that? Well, here's what, in fact, uh, God is sovereign. We, we know that. Martin Luther said that even the devil is God's devil. That is, the devil can do nothing apart from God allowing him to. The Bible also tells us something, that God is absolutely good. And God cannot cause sin. He cannot tempt anybody, nor can he be tempted with evil. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And the Bible clearly tells us that men do evil because they are evil and want to do evil and choose to do evil and will be judged because they did evil. And yet, in doing that, they accomplish the higher purpose according to God's sovereign plan. Now you say, Mitch, can you explain that just a little bit more? No. <laughs> no, I can't. Somebody said, don't try to unscrew the unscrutable, you know? I thought I'd get a little laugh out of that one, but obviously not. I was watching this guy on uh, a YouTube video, very, 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 very 
talented and, and deeply knowledgeable of the scriptures. And he says, when people ask me that, why can evil have such horrible rule over so many people and nations? We're seeing it on TV now, now, live, live. How can, that, how can God be good and evil happen? And this, this brilliant theologian, who I respect for his scriptural knowledge, it was a question and answer uh, series uh, thing. And he said, the only thing I can tell you is, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And I thought, what a great answer. Because there are some things that we really can't ultimately understand until we go to be with the Lord. Amen? We know God is good. He's perfect. He's holy. Sin is not caused by him, nor does he, is he able to sin or, or tempt us to sin, but he is sovereign. And those, you know, they have a fancy, fancy, fancy word for that. Uh, it's called an antinomy. It's a contradiction between two equally valid principles. Man is accountable. God is sovereign. Okay? I don't completely understand that. But he is. And so I wanted to bring that up because it's a fair question. But God is good. God is good. And he's doing something in history right now. And we can praise him for that. Um, another uh, thing, the question that I would ask as we kind of move towards the end of this thing is, what purpose does God have for allowing rulers and nations to both rise and fall? What purpose does God have behind it all? What do we know from the Bible? Number one, to keep nations humble and dependent on him. To cause, we see that in Israel, don't we? Time after time, God allowed things to happen in Israel so that they would stay dependent on him and return to a God-honoring lifestyle. Another, another uh, reason I think God allows things to happen that we're seeing today is to show man's propensity for evil when they try to rule and live without God. At its core, man is separated from God, and at its core, he's evil. Now, he doesn't always do everything possible to be evil, but at its core, he is evil. And um, God wants man to know that, so they'll turn to Christ for salvation and escape the, the eternal death and the fires of hell. He wants them to be saved. But, I mean, if you don't feel like you need God, you're not going to turn to God. So God uses events and difficulties and world events to turn people to Christ and to turn nations back to him and to, to remind us that without Christ, uh, the kingdom of God will never be completely fulfilled. We need him to ultimately fulfill his kingdom on earth. Now, that doesn't mean we, have our, we don't have our part, but we need God, okay? And those are some of the reasons why he allows nations to rise and fall. And then the last uh, thing that I would say as we conclude here, if God is in charge and we want to avoid the anxiety of these world events and not get all our tails tied in a knot when we when we see what's happening, we should do certain things. Number one, we need to continually comfort ourselves by remembering that God is in complete control. I'll tell you what, 
if we understand that God's in complete control, that almost, that just blows anxiety out of the water, doesn't it? Okay? At least two of you agree with me. Amen. Okay? But you know what? When things go haywire, and we, whether it's a personal, in our personal lives, and everything's going, seems like it's falling to pieces, or world events, when we, instead of panicking, we continue to say and comfort ourselves by remembering that God is in complete control, and we bow to that, bow to his providence, bow to his sovereignty, remember that he's working human history to its appointed end, remember that he never drops the ball, remember that we can be at peace because God is behind every headline and every current event and every leader, and he's moving the chess pieces together for his purpose and glory, that he's connecting everything together towards a purposeful end, if we understand that he's in control of those events in our lives, then we can be at peace. Amen? That's really cool. It works. Number two, if God is still in charge and we want to avoid the anxiety of chaos, we need to pray. We need to be in constant contact with God. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. He will hear. He will hear. Okay? We need to pray for personal repentance, for revival in the church, for conviction, for sin in our nation, for our leaders and the leaders of the nations of the world, for them to turn to God and be led by him. And God wouldn't have told us to pray that prayer if he didn't intend on answering it. And then I think a third thing is important. We need to remember that if God is in charge and in control of all nations and rulers and economies, he's still in charge of all the personal details of our life too. All of our life. Every detail. Psalm 139.16. In the, I didn't give this to you guys, so don't freak. Psalm 139.16. In thy book they were all written the days that were ordained for thee when there was not one of them. Let me repeat that. In thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for thee, when there was not one of them. So God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's happening to you today. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands, the psalmist said. All of our times are in God's hands. It's not, what's happening to you right now is not a mistake, nor, nor is it a, a failure of God to be in charge. Um, Erwin Lutzer, one more quote. If you're dealing with difficult issues, calling upon God for help, saying, what do I do now, or this is too difficult, remember that God moves in the affairs of rulers and nations, but he has particular interest in the lives of his people and will work on our behalf. If you're in despair, difficulty, discouragement, or depression, and you need direction, know that he cares, he's concerned, he's got a purpose for all the trials, temptations, sorrows, suffering, delays, discouragements he's allowed into our lives. He loves us. And if we trust the who, then we don't have to know the why. Even when it looks like God has crushed our hearts and dreams, behind, behind the harsh face of God's providence is a loving, caring, purposeful uh, heart who is taking you along in life. All the things that happened to you that you thought were so evil are actually things for your good, for God's agenda is different from our own. So we must remain faithful and obedient. 
So as you hear the news reports and read the headlines, you could say goodbye to fear and fatigue and say hello to inner peace and certainty because God is still in charge. He is under control. And just remember, let's keep our mission intact. Our mission is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's our mission, and not get pulled off course to what world events are doing, but keep our mission intact, okay? And, 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 and try to walk holy with our God, as Brian shared at the beginning of our service, or when he was up here. And if you've never received Christ, do it while you can, because we never know when God's going to bring history to an end. You don't know what events are going to produce. And so I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, make that decision uh, as soon as you can. And then you'll be safe, no matter what happens, for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for being with us this morning and for this reminder that these events in our world today are part of your plan for history. Every move is a a move of of circumstances that you have preordained from all eternity past. And as we realize that, we can rest in your sovereign grace. We can pray as you've instructed us. We can um, hold our course and focus on what we should Thank you, God, for being in control. And these are not just random uh, chaos and, 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 and wonder, how he's having to ha- wonder, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? We can say, yes, Lord, you are in control. And we worship you. And we pray. And Lord, we do pray for the safety of people over in Europe and around the world. We pray, Lord, that you would resolve this conflict that we've talked about today. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak into the hearts of rulers and that uh, people would be um, uh, secure and safe and there would be resolution, Lord, because we don't want to see anybody uh, hurt, die, perish. Lord, speak to the minds of rulers here in the United States, and in Europe, and in the Middle East, and in, uh, in Russia, China, and use them for your glory and our blessing. And we, ask, and we just thank you, Lord, that we can go out of here knowing that you're in charge. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we take the Lord's Supper and close our service, I wanted to just share with you something about uh, I, what I've been reading lately. I've been in the Old Testament reading uh, lately in 1 Kings and about Solomon and the rise and fall of Solomon, which is pretty crazy. But um, when Solomon uh, uh, dedicated the temple that he built to the Lord, it's interesting, he, on that day, he sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep, over, done over a seven-day period. That's a lot of cattle and a lot of sheep. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep in seven days. Let me read it to you. 1 Kings 8, 63. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. And so the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple to the Lord.
In fact, in 1 Kings 8, 5, it says, they could not be record- the number of sacrifices could not be recorded or counted. It was that many. They could not be recorded or counted. 2 Chronicles 7, 5 says this, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of... T- yeah, I'm sure those sacrifices didn't enjoy that, yeah. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 and 2,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Over a seven-day period, that's 20,000 animals a day. You know what that comes out to? A sacrifice every four seconds. Two, three, four. Two, three, four. It's hard to believe. Now, they, they conclude that if an animal takes two hours to be cremated, there would be 12 shifts of 1,666 animals each, including, excluding the time between shifts. Wow. That's a lot of sacrifices. And then another uh, writer said this, upon the allowance of no more than 10 that feast together, this amounts to 2,700,200 people that were pure and holy that day because of the sacrifices. But you know what happened? Another day rolled around. So they could have felt good for one day. 2,700,200 people felt good for one day. And that was the Old Testament sacrificial system. You sinned, you offered a sacrifice. Good for one day. Okay? Wasn't effective for a final cleansing of sin. Only one day's worth. But then, I want to read to you Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and this is the verse I want you to ponder as we take the Lord's Supper. Day after day, that you mentioned Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties, Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And listen to this. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When we take this cup, or bread and cup, we're taking it realizing that the eternal, holy, faultless, sinless Son of God came to this earth, born of a virgin, went to manhood, and to the cross, sinless, the eternal Son of God, and was crucified for our sins, buried and then raised from the dead, the perfect, everlasting, holy Son of God. And we don't need to offer thousands of sacrifices for millions of people. He did it one time, and that was sufficient for the, for, for the forgiveness of all time. Amen?